Hi everyone, welcome to How to Live, a podcast that explores ways to live a good life. I'm your host Sharad Lal. This is episode 20. Many of us enjoy the good things in life. A cool car, the latest bag, we worked hard, earned well. So why not enjoy these good things that life has to offer? However, sometimes without realizing, the joy of consumerism gives ways to a stressful pursuit of more and more. We need to have the latest iPhone before anyone else. Branded clothes, trending gadgets, etc. The more we have, the more unsatisfied we become and the more we want. It's a vicious cycle. If we live in a two-bedder, we want a three-bedder. If we have a three-bedder, we want a penthouse and so on. Most of us experience some level of this vicious cycle of consumerism, which instead of making us grateful, leaves us feeling inadequate. Giving up materialism altogether, renunciation, the other side, isn't appealing as well. So how do we enjoy the good things in life without getting consumed by them? In today's episode, we look at why pleasure from materialism can turn into this constant state of dissatisfaction. We talk about this both from a spiritual as well as a neuroscience lens. Then we outline approaches from both schools, spirituality and neuroscience, on how to find joy in material goods without getting consumed by them. But before getting into this episode, thank you very much for your generous support. We're on the 20th episode. It's been quite a journey. When we started out in November last year, our aim was to do at least 20 episodes. Fortunately, today we achieved that, and we are on our way to many, many more. Your support in sending us messages, ratings, reviews, spreading the word has kept us motivated. Thank you very much. With this, we are ranked number three in Singapore in the business category, top 5% globally, listened to in over 60 countries, and in close to 500 cities. Thank you very much for making this happen. Please do consider giving us a rating on Spotify or Apple Podcasts or wherever you're listening to this. Thank you in advance. Back to the episode. We all know how consumerism has reached new heights or maybe new lows over the past few decades. How the ecosystem of low-cost manufacturing, global supply chains, powerful advertising, low pricing has led to unprecedented explosion of consumption. Many of us associate our self-worth with what we own. We spend lavishly to be seen, to fit in. Often we don't even use the things we buy. They just lie unopened for months and years. Buying new things becomes automatic, without thinking. The more we have, the more we yearn for. Now this desire for more and more is not new. It may be amplified by today's context, but it's always been there. Over 2,500 years back, Buddha saw this cycle of cravings and aversions inherent in human nature, inherent in the material world. With this wisdom, he arrived at the starting point of his teaching, the central tenet of Buddhism. Life is suffering. Pursuit of things cannot satisfy us. Instead, it creates a bigger sense of dissatisfaction than before. Buddha discovered that whenever we are exposed to desires, a physical sensation gets created in our body. This sensation makes us crave for the desirable object. Once we acquire the object, we do get some pleasure, but this good feeling disappears quickly, because everything in the material world is impermanent and fleeting. This loss gives rise to a bigger craving. Then we search for the next bigger object, and the cycle continues. Each time the cravings get bigger, and the pleasure from the objects get smaller and smaller. We keep trying to grasp things, cling on to them, accumulate more and more to satisfy our cravings. But cravings are a bottomless pit. They can never be satisfied. This path causes fear, anxiety and suffering. 
For those of us who are not spiritually inclined, neuroscience has come to the same conclusion that the great Buddha came to 2500 years back. They discovered a molecule called dopamine. Dopamine has been described as the molecule of pleasure, the molecule of more. It has two key characteristics. It's focused on the future and second, it desires things we don't have. It doesn't get any satisfaction from objects that are here and now with us. Instead, it's turned on by future possibilities. It's triggered by longings, desires, and things out of reach, whether it's glamour, movie stars, a cooler image of ourselves, etc. So it diverts all energy towards these desires, the latest sports car or a limited editions watch. And when we get any of this, it doesn't sit back to celebrate and enjoy the object we've gotten because it has no interest in the present or anything we possess. It goes chasing the next thing in the future. A dopamine hit is a short burst of pleasure we get on acquiring something new. Similar to Buddhist cravings, this pleasure passes soon and dopamine looks for the next object of pleasure. Each time the pleasure keeps getting reduced and the desire for more gets bigger and bigger. This has been referred to as the dopamine loop. It cultivates perpetual dissatisfaction. It's been compared to a drug because it can be addictive and compulsive. Net whichever way we look at it, bottom line, material pursuits lead to some form of addictive behavior. This need not manifest in all of us becoming shopping addicts, but they create in us a periodic needs of hits of pleasure to satisfy our craving. Ironically, the more we satisfy our cravings, the bigger they become, leading to a state of constant dissatisfaction. Now, this may not be the best way to live, but the other approach seems even worse to many of us. Complete renunciation. Giving up pleasure and material things altogether. Great people like the Buddha were able to transcend materialism to reach a state of equanimity and happiness that most of us will not have access to. So how do we enjoy these things in moderation? How can we control ourselves to stop pursuing desirable objects after a certain point? Many of us turn to self-control or willpower as the solution to this problem. But willpower is a muscle. It gets fatigued with use. We can say no once, maybe twice, maybe even 20 times. But the 21st time, and there will be a 21st time with all the advertisement, influencers, social media, etc., we will give in. In a famous willpower experiment, participants were told to skip a meal and take part in a food tasting survey. Two trays were laid out, one with delicious brownies, the other with radishes. Once the participants came into the room, they were able to look at both the trays. And after looking at both the trays, they were assigned one of the meals. The researchers then left the room and asked people to honestly eat the meal they were assigned. Now the folks who were assigned radish resisted the temptation of eating brownies and just ate the radish. They did not cheat. They had to use a lot of their willpower to do this. Five minutes later, both groups were given unrelated problems to solve. The brownie group spent 19 minutes solving the problem. The radish group gave up after 8 minutes, spending less than half the time. After exercising willpower in not eating their brownies, their willpower ran out and could not be used for other things. Willpower is limited. The more we resist pleasure, the lower our willpower becomes, making it difficult to carry on resisting pleasure. So if willpower doesn't work, how do we solve this? Let's first look at the solution that neuroscience has to offer. We'd spoken about dopamine earlier, how it provides fleeting pleasure. However, dopamine isn't all bad. It plays a very critical role in most of our bodily functions. 
One critical characteristic of dopamine is that it provides motivation for us to take risks and bring new things into our lives. That's how we grow, learn and have evolved as a species. So we need dopamine to go after novelty, new objects, new experiences, new people, but we want to avoid the fleetingness of dopamine's pleasure. The trick in doing this is using dopamine to acquire an object and then transitioning to other hormones that are not obsessed by the future. These are present oriented. They make happiness more permanent. Oxytocin, serotonin and endorphins are these hormones. They've been referred to by acclaimed author Daniel Liberman as the here and now molecules. The key characteristics as the name suggests are they find joy in the here in what we already possess not things we chase and they provide enjoyment in the now the present moment not the future. These are the hormones that give us the warm fuzzy feeling of love, physical touch, cuddles or the happy energy after exercising or joy from serving others. From a neuroscience standpoint, the ideal brain model that maximizes happiness looks like this. Dopamine gets attracted to something we don't have. We go all out to get it. Once that happens, we suppress our dopamine transmitters and activate the here and now transmitters. With this, we stay present with what we have and enjoy it. Happiness lasts longer. A practical example is the concept of companionate love that anthropologist Helen Fisher came up with. According to this theory, romantic love gets triggered by dopamine. Dopamine is the one that gets attracted by desire, novelty, mystery, etc. Now this dopamine love lasts for 12 to 18 months. After the novelty wears off, the dopamine-induced pleasures subside. To build a long-lasting relationship, we need to transition from being head over heels in love to companionship. From a hormone standpoint, we need to transition from dopamine to oxytocin. With oxytocin, we can enjoy each other's company, we're deeply connected, we can feel content in each other's presence. If this transition does not happen, the relationship often withers. So it's dopamine that gets us into the relationship, but oxytocin that keeps us in the relationship. Now, how does this relate to consumerism and material goods? This paves the way for a concept like minimalism. In minimalism, we choose to live with fewer material objects. Since we are only allowed limited objects, we have to build a deeper relationship with every object and we need to build the relationship beyond the initial dopamine hit. We consciously decide what to buy versus the dopamine-induced compulsive buying of shiny objects, usually discounted goods, the latest fads, etc. We find joy versus fleeting pleasure. In the action steps, we'll talk a little more about what one can do to incorporate minimalism in one's life. Now let's look at this from a Buddhist angle. Mark Epstein has done some fascinating work on interpreting Buddha's teaching in his book Open to Desire. Desire is not the problem, nor is experiencing desire or enjoying the pleasure of a material good. The real problem is clinging on to material objects. This creates the craving cycle we had talked about earlier. So why do we cling to things so much? The reason is that we don't just enjoy an object for what it is. Instead, we project our desires onto it. We want it to be a certain way. We want it to increase our self-esteem, elevate our social status, be permanent, and so on. But the object is what it is. The disparity between what we want things to be and how they really are is the root of our struggle. When desire comes from a place of lacking, it can only fall short. It leads to dissatisfaction. So how do we manage this? 
the solution is not to stop projecting. Instead, it's becoming curious about our projections. Where do they come from? What's the underlying need? What does it feel like? Etc. By witnessing ourselves clinging, understanding it, acknowledging it, the grip of clinging softens. We start to see objects for what they really are. We're able to let the experience of the object unravel without any expectations. This way we can be present and truly enjoy the object. Net it's about experiencing the object without attaching our ego or projections to it. Now if you find this too theoretical, here's a powerful visual that can help. Clinging is equivalent to holding an object and clenching it tightly in our fist. We don't want to let it go. We're using all our might to hold it as tight as we can. In reality, we're not even enjoying the object because our energy is focused on holding and grasping it. In contrast, imagine holding an object with our palm open. We can still see the object, enjoy it. It might fly away after some time, that's fine. But as long as we have it, we enjoy it. Without wasting energy or fear and clinging, we can develop an intimate connection with the object. That's what open to desire looks like. Enjoying material objects without expectations or attachment. There is a third way to think about material objects. It's how the Stoics did it. Negative visualization. It's based on the premise that instead of desiring things we don't have, why don't we desire things we already have? To create this desire of things we already have, let's imagine we don't have them. They're taken away from us. What would life look like without that object? For example, close your eyes and imagine life without that beautiful house you live in. What does life look like? What do you miss about your house? What cozy corners will no longer be there? What feelings of safety and comfort will go away? And so on. Keep going in this way. Fully immerse yourself in this line of thinking. Once done, you can open your eyes. Your house is still there. You've got it back. Now you can value every bit of it. The Stoics used this exercise very effectively for gratitude and valuing what they had. In the context of materialism, I think it's a clever way of using dopamine to chase things that we already have. Now if any of this resonated with you, here are a few action steps you could consider. Firstly, minimalism. You could consider incorporating some form of minimalism in your life. Maybe it's restricting your wardrobe or luxury purchases or anything like that. You can create your own rules around it. Like you'll only buy a new shirt if you dispose an old one or anything that works for you. This is different from self-control because there's a whole philosophy around building a life of joy, not curtailing pleasure. So it, it has a different mindset to it. Try this for six months and see what it does for you. Another exercise you could consider is checking in to see, are you compulsively buying or hoarding objects? What's driving it? What are you projecting onto those objects? What does it tell you about yourself? See if this exercise does anything for you. There are many more tools like negative visualization and others that you could use. I wish you all the best. That's it for today's episode. I hope you enjoyed it. The next episode will be out in two weeks from now. I hope you join me for it. If you haven't already, please do consider giving us a rating wherever you're listening to this, whether it's Spotify, Apple Podcasts. Once again, thank you for joining me. Wish you a wonderful day ahead. Bye-bye.